She has been a personal trainer for over 20 years. Her company, Home Buddies, helps people all across New England achieve the body of their wildest dreams while working out at home. Her tough love approach will reel in even the most challenging clients. She believes in a holistic, health-focused approach to fitness and lifestyle. She's also an author, she's the creator of the world's first adult gymnastics camp, and she's the co-owner of a herbal tea company. Firecrackers, please welcome Gina. Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. I found something. Um, I found an article that says that you are a junior Olympic level eight adult gymnastics champion. That is true. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you when you started doing gymnastics? I started gymnastics when I was 10. And so all together, it was 22 years, I believe. I did stop competing a couple of years ago due to an injury. Mm -hmm. But it's been a long number of years that I've done gymnastics. And I didn't know there was a such thing as an adult division because usually gymnastics, I mean, gymnasts are very, very young. Well, yes. I mean, one of the things about the sport is that when your body is smaller, shorter, you're less fearful. Um, All of those things are much easier for kids, obviously. And the time commitment, I mean, a competitive gymnast usually needs to train 20 plus hours a week and adults just don't have that much free time typically. Um, That being said, though, there are a good number of gymnasts that stick with the sport and even maybe take a break and return to it as an adult. And so, you know, in my gymnastics practice where I did have those good competitive results, I started to get the idea of maybe helping with the movement and promoting that a little bit. So not only did I spend a lot of time as an adult gymnast, as an athlete, but I also got more involved in the promotion of adult gymnastics. And I even started up some camps for us to all be able to meet and train together as well. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like an inclusive camp for adults who don't have the time that kids have to train. For sure. So what differentiates adult gymnastics from uh, younger athletes is usually it's a little bit more for fun as opposed to like that. Let's go for the Olympics, that type of extra pressure. Um, And also we're really good about encouraging and welcoming beginners who just want it as a nice fitness avenue or for something different and fun to try. But also there's still gymnasts that compete as well. And the two groups really work together and support each other, which is really nice to see. Well, that sounds awesome. Um, So you're a personal trainer nowadays? Yes. And did you do that while you were still training as a gymnast or was that after? That was during. So I started, it's funny, I actually started working at a YMCA when I was in high school. And I'm going to tell you the absolute truth about it. I needed a job where I could do my homework while I worked (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I had no free time. It was crazy. So my dad went to the Y and he said, why don't you work there? It's so slow. It was a very small Y. It ended up closing actually because it was so small. But 
he thought I could probably do that job and I could get some homework done while I worked because all I had to do was check people in. So I started doing that. And before I knew it, they trained me in giving orientations and showing people exercises. And from all the training from gymnastics, I knew all about exercise. I just had never helped other people to do it. So that's how I started with that, with the fitness industry. And I was 15 or 16 when I started that. And I, I've worked as a trainer ever, ever since then. I mean, there hasn't been a week in my life that I haven't done something involving fitness training or coaching of others. So it's been over 20 years now. And I just absolutely love it. To be passionate about something like that, and especially, you know, fitness and sports, because of course, that is totally part of what it is to take care of oneself, you know, self-care and, and you know, treat your body well. But also, um, I mean, I, I guess people are more mindful of that now, right? I think so. Um, I know that when I started in the industry, so this is maybe the late 90s, I think people worked out. Yes, they worked out because they loved it and it was considered to be healthy to do. But I think there was a big focus on weight loss, like exercises for weight loss. And yes, exercise can help with weight loss, but that is just one of the hundreds of benefits of exercise. And I think one thing I'm noticing today is people are looking a little bit more for what can exercise do for me aside from the weight loss piece and what other benefits. Because if you go into it for weight loss and you don't necessarily get the results you're looking for, or at least not right away, you're just going to want to quit. And by attaching to the other benefits, I think it's keeping people involved in it and they're feeling more positive about it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And also there's, um, I find that, you know, practicing any type of sport or going to a gym, like you start meeting people who are like-minded and you start making connections with these people. Absolutely. That is so true. And community is so big. And especially in regards to mental health and staying motivated, you know, the world we live in today can be a little bit on the isolating side. A lot of families have, you know, you, not everyone stays in their same hometown their whole life. People move and they split up. And yeah, we have the internet and yeah, we have texting and everything, but there's nothing like seeing the same people week after week, giving them a high five, giving them a hug. I mean, I'm a member of a yoga studio. And since I stepped away from some of the gymnastics training, I've gotten more involved with my yoga practice. And you know, when I go there, and if I haven't been there in a week or two, everybody wants to hug me. How have you been? Like, where were you? Like, it's really, really nice. And like you said, with sports, but also other activities, we can develop this uh, community and this connectiveness. And I just think it's a wonderful outlet for people. So you're creating connections, you're working out. So you, you know, you're taking care of your body. You're also mm-hmm. happier, less stressed. Yes. <laughs> well, only- and it gives you a healthy activity. Like, you know... I'm in my 30s and a lot of people, it's like, all right, we're going to, the kids have a babysitter if you know you have kids or not, but people are trying to get together. And what do you do? You eat, you drink, you stay up too late, like all these things that are fun. But if you do that every single day, you're going to start paying for it. Yeah, absolutely. But if you can meet with friends and go for a walk or meet with friends and go to yoga class and maybe have breakfast afterwards, like that, that's something that's actually really helping our physical health, but also maintaining those social connections. Yeah. 
What what is the um, what advice would you give someone who has not been active in a long time but wants to start, uh, you know, to take up some kind of sport or go to a gym? That is a great question. You know, I think a lot of people think about it and they don't pull the trigger primarily out of fear or out of thinking that they need to get ready to do it. Um, and that just isn't true. I'll give you an example. So one of my friends, he mentioned that he wanted to try coming to yoga with me. And I said to him, just come, you know, there's people, there's people of all ages, all fitness levels. He goes, well, I need to practice at home. I need to be good enough so that I can go to this class. Now, this guy's in good shape. He, I mean, there's nothing about him that wouldn't make him good enough for the class, but he was really, really worried about it. And I have the same thing with some of my clients when they hire me, they'll say, geez, I wish I had hired you years ago. And I said, well, why didn't you? And they say, I thought I had to lose weight first because a trainer would judge me that I was out of shape. <laughs> like, that's my job to help people get in shape. Like, that's crazy to me, but that yet it's not crazy because that's actually how they're thinking. Yeah. So my advice would be, just do it. Just sign up. Don't wait till you're ready. Don't wait till all your ducks are in a row. Action results in action. So if you can start the ball rolling and get going, it's just going to help you. And everybody there is so worried about their own situation. People are not going to judge you. And if they do, there's something wrong with them and their opinion doesn't even matter. Absolutely. That's true. I mean, I, I like the idea of, of community around sports or around physical activity in general because yes. people go there and they are actually very supportive. So they're like a family in a way. Um, I, used for sure. practice, yes. I used to practice um, CrossFit. I did it for a long time. Well, it was like for three years that um, I had to quit because I was actually gaining so much muscle <laughs> that I was really oh uncomfortable. God. I was like, oh my God, I need to like uh, do something different. But I love, yes. I love the sense of community in the box. That for me was the best thing, getting there. Everyone, like you said, you know, everyone hugs you and everyone's like, how are you? How was your weekend? If it was Monday or, you know, uh -huh. how much weight are you going to lift today? And everyone's pushing you to be your, your best self and nobody's actually competing against you. Everyone's doing their thing. Yes. Uh, and I think that's really uh, healthy, not only in the physical, you know, area, but also mentally. It's very healthy to hang out with people like that. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And do you also uh, help your um, clients with the, uh, the like meals, the healthy meals uh, to start eating well or better? I, yes, I definitely help out with that. Um, I am not a certified nutritionist, which means I cannot give you a list and time of day and say, all right, at 8 a.m. you're going to have oatmeal. And then at 11 a.m. you're going to have a sandwich. Like that isn't what I do. What I do, however, is I generally ask my clients if they can keep a food journal for me. It can be on their phone. It can be typed out. It can be in a notebook. doesn't matter to me as long as I can get the information. And what we do is we look over that together and we talk about it. And I talk to them about what their fitness goals are and how their food supports or detracts from those goals. So what, what will happen is, so one thing I find is if you start to follow a diet that is a structured diet, which can be fine and good if you're somebody that can do something like that. The only thing is I find that if your food is too far away from your natural in, uh, inclination, you're not going to stick with that. So 
people will do these, you know, four week, 30 day, maybe even a couple months of a diet, but they quite often will go right back to what they were eating before the diet. And guess what happens then? Your body goes back to how it was before. So instead of that, what I'd like to do is start with what you do already naturally. And then we tweak that and push it in a certain direction so that I'm not taking you too far out from your habits that you've already established. Well, that's a, that's a very good um, strategy, I would say, because it is true when you, when you have certain um, type of food that you prefer, that you're the ones that you eat all the time, and then you try to do something completely different, your body's going to reject that. Like that happens to me all the time. And I'm, I'm thinking most women in this world have you know, been dieting at least once in their lives. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's not always easy because, you know, if you change your routine and the things that you eat like a lot, then it's, it's just really hard to, it's hard to stick to it. And it's also very easy to come back to what you were doing before. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and there's, there's also, there's social aspects of it. Like if you have a husband at home or relatives that you like to eat with, um, there's cultural things certain cultures are going to prefer and eat certain foods. And the other thing about it is just happiness. I want my clients to be happy. And if you're eating something that is completely the opposite of what you like, you're not going to be too happy. And I, I feel that fitness should make you happier and feel better. It should not make you feel deprived and it should not make you feel worse. And if you're doing a fitness or a diet that is making you feel worse, there's some issues there. That isn't okay. And, and that's why professionals like me and my team of trainers that I have that help me service clients, all of us, our goal, it isn't for you to become, okay, this person's going to be on the cover of a magazine. This person is doing a bodybuilding show. All that's fine. If that's what your goal is. Most people just want to feel good, look better than they, they were, um, and be healthy. And that's really what we're here to help people do. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. Let's talk about you. Uh, let's switch the subject from fitness, which I find very interesting. And thanks for all your <laughs> input and the information. But let's talk of now course. about you and your choice of, of being child-free. Sure. So you mentioned um, that you had a surgery, but before that, you already had chosen not to become a mother. Well, right. And again, I was in my early 20s, um, but I, I got married at 24. And of course, you talk about the children. And my husband said he wasn't particularly interested in having children, but asked me if I was. And I said, you know, I'm not really thinking that I am. Although a lot of women told me when you get older, when you get into your 30s, you're going to want kids. And I said, well, we'll see. But I don't feel that urge right now in my life. So that was in my early to mid 20s that I came to that conclusion for myself. So you were a little bit like in, a, in, the, in the fence, to put it in a way. Well, no, I wouldn't even say on the fence. I, just, I was aware that things could change. We don't know how we're going to feel 10 years down the line. Oh, yeah, that's true. But at at mm -hmm. that moment in time, I was sure I did not want children mm -hmm. at that point. And then something happened. Yes. Yeah, so I ended up developing, well, I had an autoimmune disease. It started for me at age 10 or 11. 
it worsened as I got into my 20s. And that ended up leading to two emergency surgeries on my intestines. And because they were emergency, I got a couple of infections in my intestines. And that meant that the scarring didn't really heal the best way it could. And that left me with some permanent hernias in my abdomen. So the problem with having these hernias was that the nature of them, it was very challenging for the doctors to repair them, which wasn't necessarily an easy or recommended surgery. But if I were to get pregnant and my stomach expanded to that extent, it could cause me some serious health problems. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. I mean, because the uterus is very close to the intestines, right? So it would Yeah, I, for sure. Right. Um, so the, the problem too is just my stomach couldn't, cannot take, I mean, you don't know how much it's going to expand when you're pregnant. For some women, they gain 20 pounds. For some, they gain 80 pounds or more. So it just wasn't not going to be worth taking that risk because um, they told me it literally might not be possible. I mean, it could have killed me if I, if I was pregnant. So that obviously slammed the door pretty hard on, on any future decisions to have children for me. Yeah. So that was like the, the definitive thing. Like, but yeah. You know, but in the end, yeah, for, that happened. Yeah. In, in the end, there's many ways to be, you know, a mother in, in the case of us uh, women, you know, it's not because I've heard this, you know, have a kid, a biological kid, but you can also foster, you can also adopt, you can also, there's many ways to. Um, there are, yes. Yeah. Um, so none of that appeals to you. Um, again, I did think about it. I thought about adopting. Um, I think for me. I have so much that I'm responsible for and I'm spending my time on right now. And it's all extremely fulfilling to me. And like you said, um, there's so many ways to be a mother. And one of my good friends, I'll give her a shout out. Her name is Terry. Um, on Mother's Day, she talked about the fact that there's many ways to be a mother. Um, and that related to me quite a bit because I definitely connect to a motherly uh, urge, but it isn't necessarily in a raising of a child. It's, you know, the care I take with my clients when I meet with them and when I advise them, it's the coaching that I do at my adult gymnastics camp. Um, so things like that, the volunteering that I've done, I mean, I get that you can be a mother and still do all those things, but obviously you have to, you can't be in two places at once. So you add in the responsibility of raising a child and you've got to be cutting back in other areas. And I just find these other areas of my life to be so fulfilling that that I just never really felt that I wanted to cut back on any of them. Yeah, no, I understand. And like you said, there's many ways to, I would call it nurturing. I'm saying, you know, many ways to nurture, not mother, because they're not, you're not really right. raising somebody, but you're taking care of right. somebody. Um, Absolutely. If you have pets, if you have plants, if you have friends that need your help, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's nurturing all these people. And I agree. Yeah, but um, you just mentioned something else that you had, um, that we had, you know, in, in our exchange, you had mentioned too, and it is that you volunteer and it is helping women overcome eating disorders. Yes. So we're talking about what type of disorder? I mean, I know eating disorders, but like, mm-hmm. is it only bulimia or anorexia? Like, So the group that I started helping with, um, it actually is not existing at the time, um, but it was called Mentor Connect. And I've done it 
other ways as well. There's uh, Facebook groups where you can meet these women. And there are some men as well that are affected. But the Mentor Connect was the primary one that I dealt with. And, you know, I don't even remember what their criteria was for qualifying, if you will, as having an eating disorder. But definitely the most common eating disorders and the ones that I suffered from growing up and into some of my young adulthood is anorexia as well as bulimia. So those are the two, I would say, most common. But then you have binge eating disorder, which is basically bulimia without purging. Mm -hmm. And that there's a lot of people with that as well, some of whom don't actually know that it's a thing, like it has a name, but it does. And then there's also some other ones that are like exercise compulsion. Um, There's orthorexia, which means you're obsessed with eating healthy at all costs, like to the point where you won't go out with friends because you're afraid the food at the restaurant isn't clean or safe, that kind of thing. So I've worked with people from all across the spectrum. Um, I don't really have a preference. I just want to help whoever needs me. Wow. So what type of support do you give them? Is it, um, yeah, what type of support do you give them? So for a lot of times it depends on what the person wants. So I've done anything. I'll pretty much do whatever they want, but obviously if I'm not thinking it's working very well for them, I will say something, but I let, I generally let people start how they prefer. And I've done everything from, I've Skyped with women from other continents, people from one case was Australia. And she, she really didn't have a good support there. She was telling me about the differences in, um, and I'm not, I'm sure the whole country and continent is not all the same, but for her, she didn't really have access to really high quality care. So that was really helpful. Um, and I did that over Skype. I've done email, I've done messaging, I've done telephone. I think I prefer, um, anything with your voice. Cause I just think that just like we're doing now, so much comes through in the voice that you don't always get with the typing stuff. Absolutely. I completely agree. But yeah, so what we do is we generally set up a schedule of a certain you know pace to it, like once per week. I sometimes have done three times per week, depending. Um, but then if people need help in between, of course, I will help them. But really what I try to do is just be a sounding board for them. And I try to be... So I'm not a therapist, um, although I, I did want to become... My initial plan in life was to become a clinical psychologist. So <laughs> maybe this is my way of dabbling in that area just a bit. Um, but the fitness track just sort of swept me up and I never made the time to, to pursue that other, you know, dream I had. But a lot of it is, it's different because if you go to a therapist, they're clearly the professional, they're the expert with this. Like I said, the name's mentor connect. So we're a mentor, but so we are, you know, hierarchically above them as above the mentee, but we're a peer, like we've been through it. And if you go to a therapist, that therapist may or may not have been through an eating disorder herself or himself, which doesn't certainly doesn't mean they can't help you. But there is a little bit more uh, easy connection, I think, when you know the person's lived it and been through it, and it, it, I think it helps people feel more comfortable. Absolutely, I completely agree. I could not agree more with that statement. And then also financially, we don't charge for this. So some people, there's a financial consideration; they can't afford a lot of medical care. And this is a way for them to access it at no cost or not, not access medical care, but access support. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like having, Uh it's like being like a big sister to somebody else who needs uh, 
at yes. least somebody to 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 so they can talk to about their what they're going through who can understand exactly and what the company did with us is they the mentors is they trained us and they said okay if this person is exhibiting these signs like you know suicidal tendencies or things that are of that nature they they let us know at what point we needed to refer them to a higher support system um, because again, we're not going to be their therapist or their doctor. Um, and that's, I think that's good too, because I know when I had my eating disorder, it was when you're really, really sick, what you do is you pull away and you hide it as best as you can. And there's nobody that can necessarily catch you struggling and help you. So with this, if my mentee is having a really tough time, I can say, I think you need to go to inpatient. You need to check yourself in there. And it just gives them another contact point so that they don't fall through the cracks. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, it's not too late for you to pursue the dream to become a clinical psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> you're, no, you're right about that. I, I bet I would love it. I don't know where I would fit it in, but never say never, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, Gina, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So before I let you go, is there anything else, anything at all that you would like to add to our interview? Well, given the subject matter of your podcast, I just would like to say that um, as a child-free woman, I mean, I just think that every woman needs to make the decision for her life that fulfills her and makes her click and makes her feel whole. And I don't think there's a right or wrong response to that. And I think if you're following your heart, you're doing the absolute best thing you could do. And you are doing what God wishes for you to do in your life. And it's all okay. Well, thanks again for your time. It's been a pleasure having you in my show. Of course. It was amazing to be on your show. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.